Morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. Bless you. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for all the things that we have learnt as we've studied Ephesians in the last few weeks. Lord, we pray that this last talk about Ephesians will be a blessing to each one of us. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, as I've just intimated in prayer, this is the last of our Transformed Life series. We've been following a book called The Transformed Life for the last few uh, weeks and months. Uh, Some of us are hopefully doing it in home group as well. We're a little bit behind in home group. We've still got to catch up. Um, But it's good to delve deeper into such a rich book. And we've learned some amazing truths, including the fact that God has united us in and with Christ. We've been saved by grace and we're family. We're family as brothers and sisters together as a church community. And these last seven verses show us how and for what Paul prayed for these young Christians before he goes on to the rest of the letter to show how to bring the vertical truths of all God has done in for us in chapters 1 to 3, how those can be implicated in practical ways in our horizontal interaction here on earth. Verse 14 starts, for this reason. Well, you might say, what reason? Well, actually, Paul started in chapter 3 at the beginning of verse, in verse 1, for this reason. But he got rather sidetracked. The next 12 verses, he, he went off on a tangent. So now he's coming back to what he originally had in his mind and thoughts. And for this reason, it's because of all that God has done in the preceding chapters that he is now able to pray in this way that he does. And we can see how earnestly he prays because he says he falls on his knees. Now, Jews in those times would not have prayed kneeling or sitting down. They would have stood praying with their hands upraised and their palms lifted up. That's how they would have prayed. But Paul's saying that he's fallen on his knees shows the depth of his entreaty for his fellow Christians. And his prayer is dedicated to God the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And the identity of all creation is tied up in that one word, Father. I don't know why this is shaking so much, it's weird. And all the family of God includes all those who believed him in the past, all those who believe in him now, that's all of us, and all those who will believe in him in the future. And when we become a Christian, we are instantaneously made a member of God's family, which is why it's so important to stay in fellowship with one another and not be a lone Christian. So there are three basic requests this morning in this passage that make up Paul's really intense prayer. First, that we'll be strengthened in our inner being. Secondly, that we'll grasp the full extent of God's love. And thirdly, that we'll be filled with all of God's fullness. So, out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. Now, I think the cry of many Christians over the years is that we feel weak, incomplete, at odds with ourselves and with God. And I don't necessarily mean physically weak, although countless times over the years I have prayed Isaiah 40, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
No, I'm talking about weakness in the spiritual area of our life. The need for spiritual strength to walk in God's ways. Strength in those inner things in which we are called to obey God. And many feel a failure as a Christian, so they stop coming to church and they stop praying and they stop seeking God. And then temptations and obstacles turn up, which somehow weaken their faith even more. The good news from Paul's prayer is that strength is freely available. We can know with our minds all about it, but of course it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to experience that inner strength in our spiritual lives. The Amplified Bible talks about being reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself, indwelling our innermost beings and personalities. And that's what Paul is writing about. That's what his prayer is all about. He's thinking of the power that he wrote about in chapter 1, that mighty strength which God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. And that's the power that will strengthen us in our innermost being. That's the power that will strengthen us spiritually through the work of the Holy Spirit. So any feelings of weakness, spiritual weakness that we have, will be transformed as we are reinforced with that mighty power. And it doesn't mean sitting back passively, waiting for the Holy Spirit to zap you. It means actively pursuing the means of grace for us to experience this supernatural power of God in our lives. So what does it mean to be strengthened in our inner beings or the inner person? Well, the Greeks of Paul's time understood three things. That each person had reasoning abilities. So Paul is praying that we will better able to use our reasoning and discerning abilities so that we can think clearly and coherently And that we'll be given God's wisdom to keep us safe and keep our lives pure and holy. And then the Greeks believe that each person had a conscience. Paul is praying that the conscience of every believer would be even more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In the story of Pinocchio, which is not one of my favourite fairy stories, the Blue Fairy dubs Jiminy Cricket as Pinocchio's conscience, saying... Lord High Keeper of the knowledge of right and wrong, counsellor in moments of temptation, and guide along the straight and narrow path. Arise, Sir Jiminy Cricket. Well, when Christ makes his home in our inner beings, he touches our consciences so that we are far more alert to the level devil's lies and temptations. And then each person has a will. So often we know what is right to do, and we really do mean to do it, but somehow we just don't get round to doing it. Like we know we ought to visit someone in hospital, but our will just isn't there for us that day. Yet, if we did have will and determination, then we would go and visit. And that's what Paul is praying, that our wills would be sanctified and motivated by the Spirit. So verse 17 explains that the spiritual strengthening is made possible because the work of the Holy Spirit allows Christ 
to dwell in our hearts. And that word dwell implies a much more permanent dwelling as opposed to a temporary residence. One commentator expands the word to settle down and feel completely at home in. And in my Bible, when I was researching one of my Bibles, I had written in the margin, like Bix, settling down in comfort. Now, Bix was a big black cat we used to have. And he used to walk into a room, jump on one of our laps or the settee, and circle around a couple of times, make himself comfortable, and settle down. And that's what Christ has done figuratively. He's come into our hearts the moment we accepted him as saviour. But here Paul is saying Christ hasn't just come in. He's actually wanting to settle down and make himself comfortable, to make himself completely at home in our lives. It's the difference between someone coming to the front door and you chatting to them in the doorway or you inviting them to come and sit down and enjoying their company. And of course, far from sleeping like Bix our cat did, Christ's indwelling power implies activity and lots of it. The early Christians, remember, especially those who had come from the Jewish background, had known for all their lives that God was with them. It was an essential part of their beliefs. He had shown his presence by dwelling with them in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then in the temple which was built in Jerusalem. But the coming of Christ opened up this deeper awareness that Christ wasn't just with them but in them, inside every believer. No wonder Paul gives glory to God at the end. So he's really praying for power that gives us that special communion and fellowship and relationship with God the Father. That's a wonderful prayer to pray for our fellow believers. Let's just pause for a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to mind, perhaps in this very room, who needs that indwelling power and inner strength of the Holy Spirit now. And just pray for the Holy Spirit to come on and in that person for strength in their inner being. And then Paul's prayer goes on that we may have the power to grasp the full extent of God's love, the width and length and height and depth, and to know this love which surpasses all knowledge. Now we gain this power to grasp and understand the full extent of God's love when we are rooted and established in the love of Christ. Have you ever taken a pot plant out of, out of its pot and seen how the roots all go down outside, seeking the water at the bottom? Well, plants take time to grow, but if the roots are well established, they will always seek the source of refreshment and nutrient and grow and mature and flower and fruit. And here we're not called to be, com- to be rooted into compost, but into this wonderful love of Christ. Healthy, spiritual fruit flowing from being rooted and grafted into the healthy vine that Jesus called himself. I am the vine, the true vine. Now, of course, Hollywood's idea of love has shaped our ideas of love so that we think it's a matter of feelings and emotions. 
Well, the Greeks, again, had different words to describe love. There's the word eros, which has to do with affectionate love. There's philia love, which has to do with friendship. But the love that Paul is talking about here is agape love, which is selfless, sacrificial love. Love that goes to the point of sacrifice, way beyond emotions and feelings. It's loving others when you don't necessarily feel that sense of love. So Paul is praying that we will be rooted and established in that sacrificial love of Christ. And in verse 18, he expands on this wonderful love. It's as if he's saying, look at the universe around you. Look at the limitless sky above, to the wide horizons on every side, to the depth of the earth and the seas beneath us. And he's saying, the love of Christ is as vast and all-encompassing as that. The message version of the Bible talks about the extravagant dimensions of God's love. That's an amazing phrase, the extravagant dimensions of God's love. You can't outrun God's love. You can't hide from God's love, as Psalm 139 says. There's nowhere where you can go where God's love will not find you. His love is long because he went to the extreme lengths of the cross to bring us his love. It's wide and it covers the depths of all our individual experiences and reaches into every corner of the world. It's high and rises to the heights of our celebration and times of elation, and his love is deep, reaching to the depths of our discouragements, despair, and even death. Even more, Paul is praying that we will come to understand and grasp the extent of that love. But of course, the only way we can understand God's love, which is so vast and wide, so utterly magnificent, is not by learning it by rote, but having it revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And that word grasp has another meaning. It is to take hold of something. So it's grasping God's love with both hands and drawing him into ourself. And they will be an effect upon us when we understand and grasp and take hold of God's love. Because when we know we are loved, we are secure. We have nothing else to prove. We haven't earned God's love, we just receive it. And knowing that we are loved by God means we can face every challenge that life throws at us. And by keeping our eyes on Jesus, we won't sink like Peter did when he walked on the water, coming to Jesus, and then he looked down and he sank. Knowing we are loved means we can, in turn, love others with that same selfless, sacrificial love of God. And knowing we are loved means we can carry God's hope into a world which is, as we know, full of hopelessness. And knowing we are loved gives us a desire like Paul, to glorify Father God, who loves us so much. So as we come to understand with our hearts and minds what is actually happening to the individual Christian, then we will begin to understand the power of those words in reality in each of our everyday experiences. And as we experience that love, we are then God's consecrated people. And I'm sure we will all say that church 
membership isn't always what it ought to be. But here in the fellowship of the church, we do find the love of God. We have all experienced it at one time or another. So this second prayer of Paul is yet another wonderful prayer to add to our repertoire of prayers that we can pray for other people. So again, is the Holy Spirit prompting you at this moment to pray for someone, for someone we know, perhaps not here, but someone of your family or friends or neighbours, to pray that they will understand and grasp this all-encompassing love of Christ? And finally, Paul prays that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This third prayer is like a crescendo. He's really building up to something big. And he's praying that we can actually enjoy God's fullness that surpasses our understanding this side of heaven. That seems such an amazing thought that our minds can't really grasp hold of. Yet, in union with Christ... And through his empowering spirit, we are complete and we can know the fullness of God because all his fullness is available to us. And the means that we are provided to bring that fullness of God and the riches of God down is through prayer. Prayer is appropriating what God has already provided for us in Christ. It's praying down all those rich resources of heaven that God has there. Those rich resources, not necessarily of material wealth, but those rich resources of tolerance and patience that Paul refers to in Romans 2. Those infinite resources of wisdom and love and mercy and righteousness and understanding. And as we saw in chapter 2, verse 7, where Paul writes, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Those riches include the joy, being filled with the joy of Christ when we least expect it, and with the fruit of righteousness. Psalm 81 says, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. This morning we need to be like baby birds in a nest with our beaks wide open, waiting for mum and dad to come and fill us with those tasty worms. That's how we need to be with God this morning, with our mouths wide, expecting that he will fill us and nourish us. So Paul's prayer can be our prayer for ourselves and our prayer for each other's, to ask the Holy Spirit to fill every aspect of our lives to the fullest. For when we face issues that we don't know how to respond when we are tempted to blur what's right and what's wrong, when we are tempted to deny him, we can dig deep into the fullness of God who is living in our innermost beings. Maybe you do feel weak and empty this morning. If that's the case, picture yourself as an empty container, perhaps an empty milk bottle. You won't stay empty for long if your container is placed in the sea. You'll bob about a bit for a while, but steadily and surely the sea will come in and then you will be filled with all the fullness of the sea. And that's the picture here. That actually we don't need to be feeling 
that it's wrong to come feeling empty and not quite with it spiritually. Because God, when we come to him and honestly say, I am empty, Lord, and there's nothing I can give, he then says, right, now I can come and fill you. So don't feel anxious that you feel empty this morning. Don't feel that you're not in the right place as a Christian because empty Christians know that they can be filled with the fullness of God as his Holy Spirit comes in and strengthens us. I wonder if there's someone here you can pray for now that you know they've em- they're empty, they're feeling empty spiritually. Perhaps they hinted at it or told you in an email or spoken to you about it. You can pray for them right now that they will be filled with all of God's fullness and that they will be able to receive what is rightfully theirs. Now, I firmly believe that Paul's prayer, which he prayed over those 2,000 years ago, is just as effective and powerful today as when he wrote it. God is still in the process of answering those three petitions that Paul prayed. And I came to understand this a, a couple of years ago when God lovingly revealed this thought to me that all the prayers of my first husband were still in the spiritual realm. Just because a person dies doesn't mean to say their prayers are just wiped out. I firmly believe that those prayers are like the incense rising to God, as John describes in Revelation chapter 5. And all the prayers of our dear fellow Christian believers we have lost in recent years and months and weeks, they are still in the process of being heard and answered. They are still effective and valuable. They are still part of God's spiritual realm. And isn't that comforting to know that all the prayers you have prayed and are going to pray will still be go on being answered long after we've gone. So it is so important to pray for the world. It's so important to pray for the lost. It's so important to pray for our unborn grandchildren and great-grandchildren or whatever, our friends and our family. Paul finishes this powerful threefold prayer with a beautiful doxology of praise to God. It's like he's been climbing a mountain and he's reached the Mount Everest of Ephesians and he prays this praise prayer to the powerful, wise, triune God. Remember, we are praying our prayers to God who is able to do immeasurably more than not only we can ask, but even that we can imagine or think about. And the power of God is far greater than whatever difficulty we may be facing today. We have all we need in Christ, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So there will be endless glory in for God throughout the church, through you and me as individual Christians to, and as together as we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our inner being, as we pray for power to grasp and understand the full extent of God's love, and as we pray to be filled with all the measure of all of God's fullness. Then, here at Pip and Jim's, all of us, every Christian, will truly be able to live the transformed life 
and we will be to the praise of God's glory. Hallelujah. Amen.